It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, Apple looks to expand its global reach. The story of Apple's rise to become the world's most valuable company, $2.4 trillion, is also the story of its relationship with China. Apple's vast manufacturing operation there and its connections to thousands of suppliers means it can turn out hundreds of millions of iPhones for customers around the world. But Bloomberg's chief technology correspondent Mark Gurman reports that Apple's singular relationship with China is changing. What you saw Apple do in China over the last 10, 15 years, you're seeing that same playbook begin in India. I asked Mark to tell us how shifts in the global economy and rising tensions between Washington and Beijing have Apple looking to expand its operations outside China and try to replicate its success in other fast-growing economies. And later in the show, senior reporter Debbie Wu in Taipei talks about why that might not be such an easy thing to do. There will be a pretty uh, significant consequence if Apple is really looking to uh, decouple from China entirely. That's really not going to happen. Mark, when we think about manufacturing in China, Apple is certainly one company that immediately comes to mind. This incredibly complex supply chain that they built to and from China is like nothing that's ever been done before. Can you give us a sense of how important is this supply chain to Apple's success? Apple's supply chain is a monster, right? It is this sprawling operation. And the supply chain is so much more than what people think of, right? When you think of the supply chain, when you think of Apple manufacturing, you think of the idea of millions and tens of millions of iPhones, iPads, other devices being popped out of a massive factory in China shipped to consumers, arriving on their doorsteps. But there's so much more to the supply chain. It starts actually a lot earlier. One process is actually the development of the manufacturing equipment alongside the development of the product that's created between Apple as well as its final manufacturing partner. Those partners are companies like Foxconn, Pegatron, Quanta, Gertech, and others. These are all these partner companies that Apple essentially contracts with to make the devices in China. That's exactly right. Those are their contract manufacturers for a process known as FATP. 
That's final assembly, testing, and packaging. But that's really the last part of the supply chain. There's a whole process before the products are actually manufactured. That's component sourcing. That's component production. That's mining of different materials, metals, and minerals that go into the components in the products, things like tungsten and gold. That happens over a number of years before a product is manufactured, and that's something that happens globally. There's parts of the iPhone and the iPad and the watch and the Mac and Apple's other products that are sourced globally from places even like the U.S. to Europe to Japan. And Apple pulls all those components together to do that final assembly, to do that mass manufacturing in China. And the idea of the Apple supply chain was to outsource everything. And this started over 20 years ago under Tim Cook when Steve Jobs returned to the company in the late 1990s, the idea being to move away from in-house Apple manufacturing and to do contract manufacturing. It lessens the costs for Apple, it lessens the risk, and you're passing over this very key part of the manufacturing process to companies that actually specialize in this type of thing. That's the Foxconn's, Pegatron's, Qantas of the world, right? They're specialists in this mass manufacturing. And at the time they were building this, China was the place to do it because they had the technical ability and they were able to do it much more cheaply than you could manufacture in the U.S.? That's right. Apple started with Foxconn in China in the early days of the iPod, actually. The first iPods were actually produced in Taiwan. And now you have facilities in China and elsewhere in Asia. And the idea being that these are the people who know how to do it at cost at quality, uh, and also in quantity. And so it was very important as Apple was driving its consumer business with the iPod, its laptops, and then eventually the iPhone and the watch and the iPad uh, to be able to produce in these large quantities. They needed a place to do it, and China was the place to do it while hitting all those necessary factors. And of course, they want to enjoy their large margins, which on some products can top 50%. And China was the way to help make that happen. More recently, you write, though, that some cracks started to show up in this system. First, when President Trump was in office and trade and political tensions between the U.S. and China got worse. And then Trump was taking aim at Apple because they were making products in China instead of the U.S. And then a couple of years later, when the pandemic hit and China's COVID zero policies froze up manufacturing. Can you describe how both of those things affected Apple's business? Yeah, the Apple supply chain was really unbreakable for the first 20 years. Things really, you know, went full steam without a hitch. They were successfully able to launch several generations of the iPod, the Mac, the iPhone, the Apple Watch. Everything was really great until around 2018, 2019, when Trump was in office in the U.S. and his whole anti-China push and the tariffs, that really started to show the cracks in the armor of the Apple supply chain. And it was twofold. On one hand, the worry from Apple and investors and consumers in China that the tariffs that Trump was attempting to put on Apple devices, including the iPhone, the Mac, and the Apple Watch, these tariffs could be several percentage points. Consumers, Apple shareholders, were worried that this would raise the costs of Apple products and, of course, hurt demand. That was one part of it, but it was twofold. The other part of it was in the middle of all these issues, 
the economy in China took a little bit of a hit because of these concerns. That really happened at the end of 2018, early 2019. And what that did is that really hurt sales in China, hurt the Chinese economy, which in turn hurt that final supply chain. And so the combination of the economic issues in China with the tariff issues between the U.S. and China really brought the Apple supply chain in terms of mass manufacturing, right, to the forefront and brought it into question. But, you know, as 2019 went around, it continued, things really calmed down and normalized. Apple started to get lots of breaks with the Trump administration on tariffs. Apple basically created a dog and pony show in Texas where it manufactured the parts of the Mac Pro. That's their highest end desktop computer, right? They built those parts in China and then did final assembly and packaging and testing of that very low quantity machine at a plant by a company called Flex in Texas. Tim Cook came there. Trump came there. Ivanka Trump, they held a whole press conference. Trump was very happy and had no issue because of that, showing that made in America manufacturing promise to give Apple breaks on those tariffs. So things were fine over the course of 2019 uh, because of the diplomacy between Apple CEO Tim Cook and President Trump at the time. Then end of 2019 hit, early 2020 hit, and we all know what happened there, the COVID pandemic. That led to major shutdowns and delays in Apple's supply chain in China. And really, the, the COVID issues, the COVID zero policy in China, really came to a head with Apple at the end of 2022 with the launch of the iPhone 14 Pro. And that was supposed to be Apple's big, splashy, kind of reinvented iPhone. Exactly. The iPhone 14 Pro was supposed to be this major launch for Apple. Uh, you had improved displays. You had the dynamic island. You had this 48-megapixel camera on the back. You had new space black and deep purple colors. This was a really hot phone with a ton of demand. But unfortunately for Apple, they could not fulfill that demand because new COVID waves hit China right at the height of the production and launch of the iPhone 14 Pro. And Apple's operations team had made the unfortunate, I guess in hindsight, decision to do mass manufacturing of the iPhone 14 Pro at a single place in China at Foxconn, one set of facilities. Those facilities went down for about a month because of the COVID zero policies, which seriously delayed iPhone 14 production hurt Apple sales for the holiday quarter, hurt their growth for the key Q1 holiday quarter. And that all comes down to the decision to source at one plant in China. So everything was good for the first 20 years, right? But the first three to five years have been pretty rough for the Apple supply chain. Did it make Apple executives start to rethink their dependency on manufacturing so many of its products, especially the flagship iPhone in China alone? I believe the rethink of where Apple should conduct mass manufacturing, it didn't start with these COVID zero policies. This actually predated COVID. I think this is something that they had considered probably since the beginning of the supply chain, right? Or a little after the beginning, at least for a decade, but something that really came to the forefront at the time of the Trump tariffs. That's when they became really to understand that they may need to diversify a bit more. But obviously, these COVID zero policies, you know, brought that even closer to the forefront. And what did that look like inside Apple after all of these years of building 
the supply chain almost entirely around China to begin to think, how do we move this beast, as you describe it, elsewhere? Right. Certainly, I believe the company thinks that its supply chain is resilient and very strong. The supply chain is a strong beast. Despite everything that happened, the iPhone 12 at the height of COVID was only delayed a few months. The MacBook Air last year was only delayed about a month and a half. The iPhone 14 Pro situation, that supply situation, was resolved in a matter of weeks. So it has been resilient, as Tim Cook likes to say. And it doesn't appear that we're going to have more COVID zero issues in China from here. It doesn't appear we're going to have more tariff-related issues anytime soon. But this pattern certainly is a bit concerning, and it's unclear what can happen. Anything can happen at this point between the U.S. and China from a diplomacy standpoint, from a COVID standpoint. Right now, things are calm, but who knows what could happen in a day from now, a year from now, or a decade from now. More with Mark Gurman after the break. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Mark Apple depends on China not just as a manufacturing base, but also to access their enormous consumer market for their products. If Apple were to significantly move its production away from China, would that hurt its ability to reach Chinese consumers? Absolutely. If Apple did a wholesale move out of China, it's very possible that they would be harmed tremendously. They bring in $75 billion a year plus at this point, nearly 25% of their annual revenue from China. And part of that ability to sell to China uniquely as a U.S. corporation is what it injects into the economy with a million plus people in the supply chain working on Apple products with its offices and employees in China. 
So it really is a partnership between Apple and China. And if Apple moves out, China may not hold up its end of the deal. Apple's largest competitor in China is Huawei. Why has Huawei not been able to establish a bigger foothold and even overtake Apple inside China itself? The consumers in China are addicted to Apple products. The iPhone, the Apple Watch, the iPad, even the Mac now. Extraordinarily hot sellers in China. You know, the iPhone started off just in the U.S., then it expanded to Europe, it expanded to Australia, but China came a little bit later. The really key thing for Apple in terms of the revenue you see today uh, was twofold, and these were both Tim Cook initiatives. Tim Cook struck a deal in the early 2010s with a carrier called China Mobile. That gave Apple access to about a billion new consumers because that, at the time, the largest carrier in China. Still to this day, and most people don't know this, the vast majority of iPhones are not bought through Apple, either Apple Online, Apple Over the Phone, or Apple Retail. They're actually bought through the carrier stores and the carrier websites. So that relationship, incredibly important, not only in China, but globally. And then in 2014, that was the real big one. That was the iPhone 6. If you remember, the iPhone screen size really didn't change much between the first several generations, the original to the iPhone 5S. With the iPhone 5, they moved from that original 3.5-inch screen to a 4-inch screen, which is very small compared to what we have today. But the iPhone 6, Apple really upped the ante. They came out with two new models. The base iPhone 6, they moved from a 4-inch phone to a 4.7-inch phone, which was quite a leap. But on top of that, they released the iPhone 6 Plus. That was with a 5.5-inch screen. People in China wanted the biggest phones they can get. The Android phones, the China-made phones at the time, those had giant screens. People in China really wanted to use one device, right? They didn't want to carry a smartphone, a tablet, a computer. They wanted one device that could do it all. And to do it all, you need the biggest screen you can get. So the iPhone 6 Plus, extraordinarily hot seller in China. So the bigger and bigger they've gone on the screen sizes, the better and better they've done, not only in China, but elsewhere. So they've really been doing things to reach the Chinese market. They've also done new software features, things that the people in China are wanting to install on their phones. But there's also some things that Apple has done that have really been done to appease China, things that are not necessarily so pleasant in order to keep this relationship flowing. I'll give you an example. Some of the iTunes features, the Apple Books features, some of the App Store features, those are not available in China. Other features have been implemented at the behest of the Chinese government. Last year, Apple changed its airdrop feature to help the Chinese government avoid people spreading protest information against the Chinese government using this airdrop feature, which allows you to send files at short distance between devices. Apple eventually said that feature was a global feature and they made it global, but it's no secret that they released it in China first and it was designed for China before they expanded it. So now we're seeing India rise as a consumer market. India's population now rivals or in some measures actually exceeds China's population now. Is there a chance that Apple starts doing what you're describing they're doing now in China, in India, trying to attract that enormous consumer base by moving production there to create the same kind of symbiotic relationship between its products and the government. 
What you saw Apple do in China over the last 10, 15 years, you're seeing that same playbook begin in India. And with a population of well over a billion at this point and a growing economy there, you're seeing Apple do this all over again in India. And you saw what that did for Apple's revenue growth when they made these moves in China. Their hope is it's going to happen all over again in India. So they're focusing tremendously there. They're building up production facilities for the iPhone and other products there. They've done small-scale manufacturing of the iPhone there, but it's getting hotter and hotter. They're starting to produce their highest-end iPhones earlier in India. They're going to produce more iPhones in India over time. They're working on a few new retail stores. They're planning to open their first one in the end of 2023 with more to follow, I would say. Probably they're going to open at least two more over the next year or two. Over the next decade, you might see 10, 15, 20 stores or more. They've recently created their own sales region internally just for India. India used to be grouped with other emerging markets in terms of its organizational structure at Apple, grouped with Africa, grouped with Eastern Europe, grouped with the Mediterranean, grouped with the Middle East. Those have broken off into their own region as one group. And now India is a standalone region reporting to Mike Fenger, who under CEO Tim Cook is Apple's head of sales. India is clearly prominent and clearly Apple's imminent future, both on a sales standpoint and on a product manufacturing standpoint. So we've seen coverage lately about how Apple may be leaving China for India or other countries. But it seems like what you're describing is they're not going to leave China. They're simply going to grow even bigger to include India without having to significantly scale back in China. Is that right? I don't believe that Apple has any imminent plans to significantly scale back in China. Maybe they scale back 20%, 25%, maybe even 50% and they build up more infrastructure in India. But I believe the idea is to build in redundancy and expansion rather than make a wholesale removal of its operations from China. There is too much at risk for Apple to do something like that. When you look ahead, what do you see for Apple's manufacturing? Do you start to see it manufacturing in many, many more countries? Or how do they manage the supply chain when it becomes even more complicated across nations and regions? So right now, most every Apple product you buy, it's going to say made in China, whether that's in the software settings or on the back of the phone or the top or bottom of the phone, it's going to be made in China. But I think in five, 10 years from now, it'll be a crapshoot. Maybe someone's phone says made in China. Maybe someone says made in India. Maybe one in Vietnam, one in Thailand, one in Malaysia. Maybe someone's Mac says made in Ireland or made in Texas. The final assembly is going to be much broader with more redundancy, but still the majority of the products made in China, particularly the iPhone, I believe. Mark Gurman, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much. When we come back, a closer look at Apple's expansion into India. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. As Mark Herman told us, Apple is looking to further expand its massive manufacturing empire. But that might not be so easy to do. A Bloomberg intelligence analysis concludes it would take eight years to move just 10% of Apple's production out of China. I asked my colleague Debbie Wu in Taipei, she covers tech and supply chains, why it would take so long for Apple to begin to decouple a bit from China. I'm not sure whether Apple is planning to decouple from China per se, because China, after all, remains a major market for Apple. And also, Apple is still making most of its gadgets inside China. So there will be a pretty significant consequence if Apple is really looking to decouple from China entirely. That's really not going to happen, at least not overnight. I always like to remind people that um, Foxconn first went into China in 1988. So that's uh, more than 30 years ago. In central China, it employees about 200,000 people, even uh, in the uh, low season. Think about which other country can uh, provide Apple and Foxconn such a sheer amount of uh, workers during the peak season. I don't think you can name a lot of countries. India has become a natural choice for Apple to diversify some of its production, too. Apple certainly seems to think so. Debbie, earlier this month, you reported that Foxconn, one of Apple's manufacturing partners, plans to invest about $700 million on a new plant in India. Can India move quickly enough to ramp up high-quality production that Apple requires? This is not just like depending on uh, India's uh, population. We are talking about a uh, comprehensive ecosystem as well. So it's not just like, okay, Foxconn has moved to India and then India will be able to uh, ramp up iPhone production. 
it does need a uh, entire ecosystem. So in China's case, it's not just Foxconn, but uh, it's a comprehensive ecosystem made up of uh, hundreds and thousands of uh, component suppliers. So because they are all uh, inside the Chinese border, these component suppliers have the uh, adequate infrastructure, including uh, highways and then uh, logistics, including uh, trucks and then uh, the meticulous logistics plannings to uh, help them uh, get the uh, components to uh, where they need to be. This is all very important for Apple because Apple has to uh, execute a very, very brutal cycle of uh, launching a new generation of iPhone on a yearly basis. They simply cannot afford to miss that cycle. Three uh, of Apple's major iPhone suppliers are now in India running uh, assembly operations, but most of their uh, component suppliers still uh, haven't quite set up manufacturing operations in India. So that will lead to uh, more uh, tiny and more costly operations for uh, Apple in the country. If India wants to become a proper ecosystem in itself, then it will have to uh, first lure more uh, Apple component suppliers to a country to be able to uh, build up a proper infrastructure within the country to help uh, these uh, ecosystem to be able to uh, run and coordinate with each other smoothly like they do in China. Is some of this about just capturing India's growing consumer market, which is now rivaling China's? That's for sure, because China's economic growth has been slowing down. And then uh, the uh, target of uh, 5% of growth seems to be only barely satisfactory for a lot of investors and economists. So naturally, it's not just Apple, but Apple and also uh, a lot of uh, companies uh, in the West and also in Asia will be looking at, uh, you know, what's the uh, next growth market for us? And then uh, where can we uh, try to capture the most uh, profits and growth next? And India with uh, its economy yet to uh, really uh, take off and with uh, the uh, uh, population still have a uh, quite a long way to go in terms of uh, spending power. I think um, the uh, majority of uh, companies is looking at this as a great opportunity to uh, go into the market because the uh, Modi's government is currently uh, offering various incentives for manufacturers to uh, make gadgets and chips in uh, his country. So I think uh, Modi is also fully aware that this is a great opportunity to uh, attract these foreign investments at a time that uh, the uh, U.S. and China are uh, continuing to uh, see a very strained relationship. When you look ahead, I don't know, a decade from now, do you think a lot of Apple's manufacturing will be outside of China in places like India and Vietnam? It really depends a lot on uh, what's going to happen in the U.S.-China relationship, basically the uh, ties between the two largest economies in the world. So I think a lot of companies are feeling that um, if the uh, somehow the strength relationship gets improved, and maybe uh, it's back to uh, era of uh, engagement, then I think a lot of companies still probably would prefer to move uh, production back to China because that way it's uh, centralized. It's more centralized. It's uh, more efficient. And then the uh, costs are lower. And then uh, that means that you can offer uh, a better price for uh, your consumers as well. So uh, in a way, if you continue to think about cost and profits and what Wall Street investors would prefer, that's actually uh, what uh, most companies would still like to see. 
But if this tension between、uh, Washington and Beijing persists or、uh, even、uh, escalates, I think、uh, it would drive more、uh, companies to、uh, rethink their manufacturing、uh, strategy and then whether it is、uh, necessary to、uh, move more production outside of China to、uh, mitigate geopolitical risks. Debbie Wu, thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to us here at the Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to BigTake at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of the Big Take is Vicky Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producer is Federica Romaniello. Our associate producer is Zenab Siddiqui. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another big take. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson Pete. Join us on the Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Sarah Holder, host of Big Take. I want to tell you about a new podcast and video series you're not going to want to miss: The Deal, co-hosted by Yankees legend Alex Rodriguez. Every week, A Rod and Bloomberg reporter Jason Kelly speak with big-time athletes, entertainers, and executives like Maria Sharapova. Michael Strahan, Derek Jeter, and more. The deal takes you behind the scenes into the world of sports, media, and entertainment, and dives into the wins, losses, and lessons learned along the way. From Bloomberg Podcasts and Bloomberg Originals, you can listen to the deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Originals on YouTube.